oversight. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Happy to bring you expert knowledge on the show. It's Ashley Frasca. You're listening to Green and Growing right here on 95.5 WSB. Pruning is a topic that comes up on the show 12 months out of the year, and it's not something to be intimidated by. So I have with me today... Bruce Holiday of Landscape Plans Plus, and Rick Smith, the pruning guru. And guys, a huge thank you to both of you for offering your time today. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, Rick, tell us a little bit about you. You and I met through Mary Kay Woodworth, the pruning Mm -hmm. guru. How did you get started in Atlanta? So in 1982, I started with a company that no longer exists called Post Properties. And I worked with them for 15 years. And in 2002, I started my uh, business of the Pruning Guru. It has grown to what it is today, and it's, it's a great industry. Landscapers and homeowners need it. And you're serving as a mentor to people starting in the business. If you hire so. someone that doesn't know what they're doing, you're training them the right way to prune things so the customers can get more bang for the buck and really truly enjoy things in their landscapes. Correct. Mm-hmm. Or they hire someone with no experience and someone with some experience because sometimes it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> but if you start off fresh with a new employee, because I tell them you're not a guru until you go through a year and a half of to see how plants respond yeah. to proper pruning. And Bruce Holiday, you and I have been on the show together in a little bit different form when you yep. would come on with Over Walter the Reeves and yep. the Lawn and Garden Show. Um, how did you get started? I uh, got a degree at University of Georgia and I uh, graduated in 76. My landscape architecture license is 804. I think they're now into the thousands. <laughs> but I've been doing this for 46 years and primarily residential. What I love is helping people fix things that have, should have never been done. I've been a landscape contractor I've been just a landscape architect. My truck is my home, kind of like mm-hmm. Rick. We spend more of our time in our vehicle. Yeah. And I visit sites every day and draw plans to the tune of probably 30,000 full-scale landscape plans. My main guide is to help customers understand what they're doing. My basic promise to a customer is I'm going to draw you a plan that's not only attractive to look at, but comfortable to live in and easy to maintain. Every guest expert that I've had on the show, and I've stolen the phrase, even Georgia Power has come on the show, right plant, right place. Because the last thing their crews want are to cut back your beautiful magnolia or your crepe myrtle or something from underneath power lines. But it's something that it probably shouldn't have been planted there in the first place. So Rick, what's your thought on selecting the right plant and letting it grow to what it's meant to grow to? The first thing you do is you do your research. Find out how large it gets. Does it take full sun? Does it take uh, shade? How fast does it grow? You know, it's funny. I went to a house one time and someone planted a Leland Cypress about three feet from their front door. My gosh. What do you say to that after it's already 10 years old? Oh. Yeah, so that's what I like to do is educate customers and even landscapers sometimes say, hey, look, you know, do your research. Find out how fast this thing grows. Should it be planted along the side of a, someone's house? Education goes a long way when it comes to doing your research online and yeah. asking a professional. And, and is the tag, Bruce, a good place to start when we go into the nursery and look at this tag that's on a camellia telling me the size? Is that maybe underselling it a little bit? Is that a good rule of thumb to start by with expectations? 
Well, generally speaking, I tell people take the tag and multiply about at least 25 to 50 percent because the tag is there to sell the plant. And if you do your research and you go to a research site that is fact-based, such as a university, and oftentimes you'll read on those that it says the average plant does so-and-so, but it actually does such-and-such. One of my favorites is Augustbeta gardenia, and I asked the growers several years ago, why do you have a tag on there that says grow six to eight feet tall? Their excuse was that the average person can keep it that size. And Rick and I both know that you can keep some of these plants whatever size you want to mm-hmm. for many, many years, but you're cutting off flowers, you're cutting off fruit, you're cutting off, you know, you're making a shell of a plant. So the tag is something to sell by, but don't, don't always believe what you see. The other is while we prune is for pruning uh, for symmetry, you know, the balance of beauty, uh, pruning dead out of the plant material. You know, if you're not sure that it's dead, uh, ask a professional. Insects, you know, you can prune just uh, a little section that has a small amount of insects, like the mealybugs, for an example, uh, instead of getting your chemicals out and spraying the whole shrub. Yeah, there's a lot more to consider. Mm -hmm. So the things you just named, you know, you're considering the health of the plant, um, taking out dead things, if, if insects are an issue, or symmetry. Bruce, I'll look at you and say, so to achieve a certain look, like Rick just you know, referenced symmetry or you want it to be a certain shape or whatever, tools are important, aren't they? They are. And you know, when it comes to tools, uh, we're going to do some photos later and you'll put those on your Facebook page. This is show and tell. This radio show has images. I yeah, love it. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to do images because there's a lot of things to look at. But when Rick talked about pruning them into a natural shape, people may think that you've got to prune them into a certain shape. Most plants will develop a symmetrical shape. And the biggest problem I find is that people continue to shear the top and then the bottom gets leggy because if you visualize this, if you've got an upside-down pyramid where the top is six feet wide, the bottom is two feet wide, sun is never going to get down there. So what Rick and I are talking about is rejuvenating that plant by cutting it into a pyramid where it's four feet wide at the bottom and two feet wide at the top, and then hand pruning because the the biggest thing that uh, we all in the industry of landscape professionals versus a, quote, landscaper or a yard mow and blow mm-hmm. guy, those have their places, but and I'm, I'm not being demeaning to them, but there are different levels of experience. And to prune it right, sometimes you have to go through several seasons to get the plant back to its natural shape. Uh, like Bruce was saying, you make pretty much a dome over time. Mm-hmm. We just use hand pruners. It's healthier for the shrub. You allow air and light into it, and you make the plant look natural. Our job is to protect a homeowner's investment for the long run. But in order to make a proper cut when we're talking about tree limbs, whether we're limbing something up or just, you know, thinning it out or removing dead branches, the way you cut is so important. Sharp tools are very, very important. For taking off a branch, using a folding handsaw is what I like using. There's a three-cut rule to removing a branch. First, it's always going to be underneath the branch, about six to eight inches away from the trunk, and you're probably going to make the cut about a quarter way into the thickness of the limb. So you're cutting upwards. Yes, you're cutting upward. Your second cut will be above the plant, about six to eight inches even further out. And you want to go ahead and cut that branch all the way off. Now you have is a nub from that point to the trunk. Now, when you're making that last cut, you want to cut to the front of the collar and not into the collar. Because what happens if you cut into the collar, the wound is going to be larger. If you bring it right out to the collar, it's going to seal properly. 
If you don't make it close enough to the collar, you're going to have a nub there, and that collar will not be able to grow over that nub and seal the wound. Yeah, you should. You almost shouldn't be able to see where you just removed a limb. You shouldn't right. see a few inches sticking out. But the three-point cut that you bring up, Rick, is really important. And the reason you're doing that, the first cut is going upwards. The second one out a little way is going downwards. But it takes the weight of yes. that limb away to where it's not going to actually rip off the and tree. And you can right? tell when someone actually did not follow the rule and actually made their first cut at the top of the branch Going at the collar and they started cutting and then the weight of the branch uh, falls down toward the ground and the weight of the branch will literally pull the bark off of the trunk of the tree. Now with major pruning like that, is this the time of year? Well, one, it depends on the tree. Two, when the spring is about to approach us, it starts dripping water. And uh, that's kind of like a water hose where the plant's starting to actively grow because the soil temperature is getting on up there. And then it's just kind of like a little fountain. It's not going to hurt it, but you can either go before or after that time frame. In Japanese maples, one rule is that I never prune them when they are starting to put on new growth. You never prune them in the heat of the summer. In summer, Japanese maples do often struggle if it is just a really, really hot, prolonged period in there in direct sun. Yeah, I've seen our friend Norm Mitleider, who's been on the show a number of times, actually build kind of shade screens over Japanese maples just temporarily for a couple of months of the summer for homeowners just to avoid that scorch. I just recommended that same thing to a homeowner yesterday. It may look silly for a couple of months over the summer, but yeah, definitely beneficial for the tree And something to consider when planting Japanese maples. Make sure they're not in that bright, wide open sunlight. Well, when we return, more with Rick Smith, the pruning guru, and landscape architect Bruce Holliday. How to know the difference in the professions and what getting what you need for your landscape. If you're just looking for the guy to mow and blow, if you're looking for something a little more upscale, perhaps a design or some hardscapes or planting to be done, how to pick the right professional for the job. I love the advice and the resources these guys are going to give you. You may want to have a pen and paper handy too. Plus, Pike Nursery comes up, holiday blooms, and all the things that are flowering right now that we can be enjoying indoors over the holidays. Stay tuned. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. So, gentlemen, a lot of information today. You both have probably combined 50 years' experience in the business, if not more. All of the connections you have in the industry as well. Well, I guess we'll go over the differences, Bruce, um, whether I'm getting a landscape architect, a landscape designer, a landscape contractor, so I know that I'm picking the right person for the job. You've got, quote, your landscaper. Sometimes is a person who just started out and they don't know what they're doing. There Mowing are a lot the of people, grass, blowing the leaves. They're the maintenance guys, and I have customers that sometimes said that their landscaper can do this. Typically, those are people who have very little, if any, kind of education. But there are a lot of companies, I don't want to you know, short anybody, there are a lot of companies that start out that way that end up you know, getting certifications and, and this kind of a thing. But a lot of landscapers buy what's on sale. And they put it in the ground. They don't pay attention. They don't even sometimes read the, the labels on the plant. They just like a plant. And they just you know put it somewhere. Then you've got a landscape contractor, and that's usually a an obviously a licensed person who has insurance, who usually has you know trained people, and most of them, like Rick, do training seminars. First, you can be a landscape designer, and there are several schools, uh, Gwinnett Tech and uh, North Georgia Tech, and uh, do some programs on landscape designer. But technically speaking, legally speaking, a landscape designer cannot draw landscape plans on their own for profit. They have to work for another company 
Landscape designers are some good ones out there, uh, but they don't have the training that a landscape architect would. So a landscape architect is a person who has completed four or five years of, of education and then become certified by the state by taking a very extensive board, kind of like the law review boards. It's a, a three-day exam that covers everything from grading and drainage all the way down into planting and pruning and fertilizing and the, all the aspects of it. So a landscape architect is a legal person that can do nothing but design. There are also some other organizations that train and promote people there's a master gardener program that helps people to understand things. But there again, some of these things are you know, helpful things to do it. And then Rick is part of a great organization that I really love. And Rick can talk about that. The Georgia Urban Ag Council, very informative. They uh, do a great job with educating the industry. They're having seminars all the time. They support the Georgia Certified Landscape Professional Program that's administered through the University of Georgia which I'm also a part of. If you're also Georgia certified landscape professional, you're also Alabama certified. Oh. That's a cool educational program that landscape companies should really consider having a lot of their employees doing because it's a broad scope of uh, material that you're learning. You're just not learning about how to put a plant in the ground. It's a whole spectrum of everything that you're learning. It's a hands-on and it's a written test. When you can call yourself a Georgia certified landscape professional, it is a classification that really puts you up there when it comes to having the knowledge that you need. Uh, I'm not trying to classify one landscape company from another. There are a lot of landscape companies out there who are really, really good. But I think that on the educational standpoint, if those guys could send one or two of their employees to take that test, they would be very impressed. Congratulations and kudos to Mary Kay Woodworth, the executive director of the Georgia Urban Ag Council. That She is awesome. Yep. Handles a lot of this stuff. Y'all have heard her on the show before. So that's a good place to start. When you go to urbanagcouncil.com, you can go to find a pro and the membership directory and companies like Rick's, the, the pruning guru, is on there. And that's going to also help you find someone geographically close to your area. And also another resource, too, you mentioned the Master Gardener Program. And it goes without saying that the extension service through the University of Georgia, everybody has an extension agent in their county that they can yeah, get in touch with. Yeah, it started out as uh, you know, farmers, but now they are more urban and they have unbelievable resources that you can just go to the CAES, as we know, the Georgia Cooperative Extension Service. You can Google it and you can get brochures and pamphlets and I think even videos yeah. of almost anything that you want to do. As we know, our friend Walter was uh, a, an extension agent for many, many years, as well as being on the radio. And then the other one we didn't talk about was the Georgia Green Industry Association, which uh, has seminars available every year uh, for professionals. It has a trade show every year that you can go and meet actual growers. So there are some great organizations that people can belong to to not only help their customers, but also to help their businesses to keep from making mistakes. And one more, too, uh, talking about tree health, the Georgia Arborist Association as well. That's also something where you can find a tree professional there, georgiaarborist.org. Guys, I can't thank you enough. We covered a lot of topics and folks will be hearing this over and over. And I hope you stay in touch and we can actually maybe do some things in person with the listeners. How do you feel about that? That'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thank you so much for having us on your show. Thank you. Absolutely. So again, Bruce Holiday with Landscape Plans Plus, and you can find Rick Smith, the pruning guru online, pruningguru.com. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSB.
Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. First Saturday of December. It's already here. Welcome to Green and Growing. I'm glad you're listening this morning. Almost through with the show. But we can't let the show end until we get Pike Nursery on the line. And back for the second week in a row is Rena Sartain, certified plant professional at the Buckhead location for Pike Nursery. Hey, Rena, good morning. Good morning to you, Ashley. So last Saturday after Thanksgiving, you and I got caught up on live wreaths and garlands at Pike Nursery. Of course, the Christmas trees are there. People are picking their favorites. People are already picking out their tree. Of course, it's the first weekend in December. But some other holiday plants to think about. Some of these are good gift ideas. Some of them are just great adornments to have around the table or where your guests are going to be. Indoor Christmas blooms. And boy, you've got a great list of stuff to share with us today. We really do, and I'm going to touch lightly on poinsettias because I think most of us know that they are the most popular holiday flower, and they come, now they come, Ashley, in every color imaginable. It is just unbelievable, the new colors that come out every year. I like the spotted ones. Like, I like the ones that are almost like a cream and a pink, you know, on the bract together. Those are beautiful. They're beautiful, and they each have a very sexy name to them and they're just they're just gorgeous so you can find one to match any decor but I think this time of year um, what people are really concentrating on um, especially are amaryllis which we know an amaryllis is a grows from a large bulb and um, it has a spectacular flower they also come in variegations of colors or deep um, red white, pink. They're just absolutely gorgeous. And they're almost like having a piece of artwork in your home when they bloom. I mean, it's just such a focal point. So they can go anywhere in your home. And of course, people love their paper whites also. These are very, very fragrant. Some people love the smell. Some people don't love them. But um, they're a type of narcissus. And um, they just set very in shallow water on rocks or bark. You don't want to submerge these bulbs in water or they will rot. So when you are putting them in something, you really just have the roots exposed to the water. And then the bulb itself kind of sits on top of either decorative rocks or, you know, whatever you want to put. And most people put them in a clear glass container because it's really fun and funky to watch the root systems as they spread through the rocks. So those will give you a lot of color. And of course, the paper whites give you that beautiful fragrance. Um, Another one of my favorites, I didn't used to like this, but um, I have a Christmas cactus. It's probably 70 years old. That was my family. And the colors are fabulous. They, They hold their leaf, the green part, the succulent part of their Um, leaf all year, or structure, I should say, they're not leaves, Um, all year long. But about this time of year, they just absolutely prolifically bloom, Um, red, pink, white, fuchsia, even a yellowish color, Mm -hmm. and they will just bloom for a long time. And then, you know, um, put them in bright, indirect light the rest of the year. I keep mine out on my screen porch all summer long. 
and they are they they're loaded with bulbs right now depending on where you have them in your home obviously the more sun they get the quicker they will bloom Mm -hmm. and the shorter their flower they will hold their flower because nothing likes to be exposed to too much direct sunlight if it's an indoor plant but um you will love the christmas cactus you know i i think there's something to be said for keeping those like you said over the summer whether you move them out to you know indirect sun but bright light on a deck or patio all summer long those plants just love taking in months and months of sun so that they can bloom more prolifically around the holidays and i've seen both in the stores which i'm glad the thanksgiving cactus and the Christmas cactus, and it looks like the little leaves, so to speak, of the Thanksgiving one have like two-pointed almost little antennas, so they've got points, versus Christmas, the leaf is a little more smooth, like a paddle, right? Exactly, and um, you can trim them back periodically. Um, you can, you don't have to use anything. You can literally just break them off, and it's good to prune them back. You know, the one that I have that's so old, I feel like she's my grandmother, um, <laughs> is great, and I do um, shorten her um, extensions about you know once a year, once every other year, just to keep her full, and because things get. Thinly. It's mm-hmm. kind of like girl's hair. You know, one day your hair just gets too long and you've got to get it cut. So that's kind of what they're like. But they're just absolutely beautiful. When they're not in bloom, they're not the most gorgeous thing right. in the world. But if you put them in the right place, they're fun. You can hang them. You can set them on a table um, through the spring and summer outside. Just They just don't want to be fried in the sun. And holiday cactus, so when we have these, Rena, of course, as you and I have already mentioned, they are succulents. So the watering requirements around the time of the holidays, we're all busy and running around. They don't need a lot of water. No, they don't. They really, really don't. If you overwater them, they'll start breaking off. So you, you really don't want to. And, you know, your house, it's very different watering in your house, obviously, than it is outside. So just... What it basically takes, as we all know, is just good old common sense. (laughs) Yep. Stick that finger in the soil. See if it comes back dry or wet. If it's totally dry, maybe add a little bit of water. Well, y'all have another fun succulent, too, that I have seen people uh, post on gardening Facebook pages, and they're so unsure of what this plant is and identifying it, and it pops up with flowers, and people don't know what it is. What's the other succulent that's common this time of year? Calancho. And we use show all year round, but Calancho is just this bushy little um, multi-flowered plant that you can keep, you can use them outside in the intemperate weather, but inside they come in all sizes. They're a great little hostess gift if you're um, putting, you know, we have these cute little ones that come in these decorative little containers, big ones, and they just make a splash of color. They stay low, so they're a great thing to put in some kind of low vessel on a across a dining room table so that people can see over them. And then you can put ferns around them or embellish them somehow. They come in all colors, and they're just perfect for decorating during the holidays. But year-round, people use these constantly because yeah. they're all blooming. Calancho yeah. or Calancoe, those are good little houseplants as well. And another one that I'd never thought to bring in that I usually had on the back deck, but that does pretty well brought inside too, Cyclamen. Cyclamen is a great plant. Um, yeah, I think it's always better to keep them in pots if you can so that you can move them around. I had a Cyclamen on my sun porch, which was encased in glass, but they like indirect bright light. Their colors are beautiful. 
they bloom for a long, long time. And then in the summertime, they want they they will hold their leaves year round, but you need to just transfer them into a shady a shadier spot if you're going to put them outside. But you will have evergreen foliage with cyclamen. But they're they're a beautiful thing just to pop in some kind of decorative vessel or container and put on a in an entrance hall on a kitchen counter you know in the bathroom they're just fabulous and beautiful big showy flowers and we all know orchids orchids just usually bloom once a year they will rebloom every year um, you can cut them back once their stems yellow and they should rebloom for you again you don't need to move them. If they have a happy spot in your house, keep them in their happy spot, and they will perform for you. Anthurium is just a different variety. Anthurium has a beautiful kind of heart-shaped color on it. They come in pink, red, and white. They're a great plant. And then peace lilies, spats, are wonderful. They love a really shady environment. So there's something for everyone, um, and the store is just filled with color, and we'll walk you around tell you what will work, just, you know, tell us if you have no light, a lot of light, whatever, and we'll find something that is absolutely perfect for the holidays. And let me ask you about the peace lily real quick. What are the light requirements on it? Because so many people seem to have peace lilies that just aren't really happy. They're droopy or something. They really like low light. They are our biggest seller for low light plants water them probably once a week, once every, you know, five to seven days. They will tell you when they need water because their little leaves will start to droop. Everything needs some light, if possible, to bloom better, inside or out. Everybody needs sun. Sun is where they get their energy. And I don't mean direct sun. I just mean good old light. But they are a great lower light plant. Well, Rena Sartain, with a lot of really good suggestions, thinking outside the box for holiday plants. Yes, you've got poinsettias. Yes, you've got all those other things, but some really nice alternatives. Beautiful Christmas time blooms that you can uh, share with family and friends if you need hostess gifts or just things for your own decorations. Rena, how can folks find out where all of the Pike Nurseries are located? On our website, we have all the locations and directions, and we are just so happy and waiting for people to come in the store so we can help you make your holidays easy and low stress and beautiful. PikeNursery.com. Rena, have a wonderful holiday. Thanks so much for all the knowledge these last two weeks. Always my pleasure, Ashley. And more good news from Pike Nursery. If you haven't already gotten your Christmas tree, listen up. A great deal through tomorrow, December 4th. Save $50 off their Christmas decor kit at Pike Nursery. That includes any fresh-cut Christmas tree six feet and taller. You get a fragrant 24-inch mixed wreath, two six-inch red poinsettias, and nine feet of fresh cedar garlands. You can customize it. Choose any tree. Mix and match the wreaths and poinsettias and garlands. And again, save $50. This is the weekend to go Christmas shopping for sure. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. You're listening to Green and Growing right here on WSB. The update on your weekend weather brought to you by Finley Roofing. You know, this has been a really fun show to put together for you today. And you can find out a lot more about the Outdoor Expert Series and the folks that I've had join me 
On my Facebook page, search Facebook for Green and Growing WSB and like or follow the page. I really appreciate Bodie Panisi at the University of Georgia talking about holiday plants. And, of course, we talked about some some more holiday flowers with Rena Sartain, a pike nursery. You can find all of those plants at any of their 15 area locations. At a great time with Mark Hoban, and I didn't even get to mention when Mark and I and even Clint Waltz spent the day out at Rivermont Golf Club the German Shepherd that rode along in the golf cart with him and is able to scare away the geese and the ducks and the deer and things like that off of the golf course. And apparently that's kind of common practice at a lot of uh, golf courses with the superintendents. They have a, a canine companion that rides along. That was a lot of fun meeting Addie. And uh, Seth Hawkins, always appreciate the work that he and Stacia Kelly do at the Georgia Forestry Commission and others, the knowledge that they bring us every fall. And, of course, Rick Smith, the pruning guru, and Bruce Holiday as well, longtime friends of the show, and really back for the second week with great info about pruning and how you find the right person for the job. Green and Growing! Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. And before we get out of here today, number one, meteorologist Christina Edwards and I a few days ago in the hallway talking about the warm weather and a good time to get out there and plant bulbs for daffodils and tulips and hyacinth. It's not too late. Get those spring flowering bulbs in the ground now. And keep in mind, if you're going to do tulips, they like at least five hours of sun a day. Number two, if you've already brought your live Christmas tree home, enjoy it. It can last up to five to six weeks. you got to check the water level, though every few days and make sure the water never gets below the base of the trunk. That is the best way to keep it fresh. And number three, there's a ton of holiday festivities around town this month, as you can imagine. Uh, I don't have an all-inclusive list, but the best that I have found as I plod along on social media and hear commercials and things, my list of events around the metro Atlanta area uh, at the Green and Growing website. So go to wsbradio.com slash green and growing, and there you will find the events page as well as blogs and newsletter articles that I have published and the show as a podcast on demand where you can listen back to each hour of the show at your leisure, leisure almost essentially commercial free. So it's been a great couple of Saturdays. I will be back with you next Saturday live in the studio and joined by Mickey Gasway from Pike Nursery. And I love it when she helps me take your calls and your questions. And she's got a lot of garden experience that we could all learn from. And of course, you don't need me to tell you it is the SEC championship game today in Atlanta, Georgia at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. The Dogs and the LSU Tigers kickoff is at 4 o'clock, so that means all of the pregame action right here on your home of the Dogs will begin right at high noon. Go Dogs, looking for them to be the SEC champs and undefeated once again. Have a great Saturday. WSB, Atlantis News and Talk.